Welcome to Cretech Climate Cast, a podcast series devoted to educating, inspiring, and leading the built world to address the world's biggest crisis, climate change. I'm your host, Michael Beckerman, CEO of Cretech Climate, the leading voice for the real estate industry's commitment to climate tech. Join me each week for 20 minutes as we connect with the world's leading real estate and tech innovators from VCs, real estate companies, academic and nonprofit sectors. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, it's Michael Beckerman. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Cretech Climate Cast, where I talk to leaders who are helping to decarbonize the built world. So much of the podcast has been focused on educating the industry, as I'm getting educated at the same time, of course, about the built world, the real estate industry's contribution and opportunity as it relates to climate change. Responsible for 40% of all carbon emissions is the built world. And my mission, my passion is to do something about that as best I can. You know, so much of the podcast has been focused on educating everybody. But when I find a solution that is actually helping to solve the problem. I want to bring that leader, that founder, that CEO onto the podcast to kind of educate us as to what's working. Raphael Rosen, the CEO of Carbon Lighthouse. Carbon Lighthouse is really one of the breakout tech companies uh, helping to decarbonize the built world. So Raphael will correct me, but I think from what I read, it's about 100 million square feet that's utilized in Carbon Lighthouse. So that to me says it's working, people are adopting it, and we got to find out what the heck they're doing right, what others can learn from it. Raphael, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you. Great to be here. So tell, why don't you introduce the audience to Carbon Lighthouse? When was it founded? What does it do? Yeah, so we co-founded Carbon Lighthouse in 2010 uh, with the mission of making it easy and profitable uh, for landlords to decarbonize their buildings. Uh, and so the thesis that we've always had from the beginning is there's a huge economic opportunity um, for making a lot of money by reducing emissions. And the challenge is getting people to really understand that and see that. And so what Carbon Lighthouse does is we provide a platform for landlords to get to net zero and to do so easily and profitably. And the way we make that possible uh, is through all the technology we've built to identify, quantify, and then continuously deliver and verify all of the different energy efficiency, renewable energy, electrification, et cetera, opportunities and buildings and make it easy to go achieve them. So you've deployed the technology to 100 million feet in the US, I believe, right? That's right. So what's the pitch that has enabled Carbon Lighthouse to be so effective in scaling? What, what's been the pitch? What's been the message? And then part two of that obviously would be, give us some examples. Yeah. So I think ultimately the pitch is, is very simple, as I touched on, which is lots of landlords want to get to net zero or they at least want to reduce their emissions. They don't know where to start or how to do that. So our pitch is we will come up with the plan for you. We will then identify and quantify all the opportunities you're going to make throughout all of your assets in order to get them to net zero. We're going to show you the ROIs for them. And then we're going to help coach your facilities teams on how to go achieve that. And I think what 
has resonated with our customers on that front is the sense of breaking down the problem into the smaller pieces and then getting, I think most importantly, the actionable instructions because things like energy audits are fine, but they generally sit on the shelf because they're not actionable and no one knows what to do. No one necessarily has confidence in the results of that. And so we're taking in all the information from all the buildings we've been in and being able to say, here's the first five things you should do. The first three of these opportunities your facilities team can do themselves. These next two, you're going to want to bid out to this type of mechanical contractor, or you're going to work with your controls contractor and road mapping the whole thing. And then as it gets acted on, even better, our customers can then track it on the back end and see those results share those results and say, look, we reduce GHG emissions by 15%. Here's the results. They can show that to their LPs when they go to raise capital. They can show that to the big new perspective, you know, Fortune 500 tenant who's thinking about signing a lease with them uh, and give the, the actionable real-time insight to their customers. And so can you give us some examples, Raphael? Give us some either clients or buildings or portfolios, something to sort of, again, help the audience understand who's using it and how. Obviously, I get the benefit. There's an ROI, which obviously in real estate, you need to have, right? If if we just tack this from sort of a mission critical, we'll we'll make progress, but the ROI will help us really scale fast. So who's been using it? So So one one simple example that comes to mind. So Ohana Real Estate Group is in the hospitality space. on lots of um, high-end luxury hotels, and they've been using us for years. Um, one of the reasons they initially signed up with us, besides the ESG benefit, was the ability to get guaranteed net operating income bump and be able to cap that at disposition. And so when they sold um, the Montage Beverly Hills Hotel a couple of years ago, they were able to monetize that bump that they got um, at a great cap rate from all the efficiency work um, that they did with us. And the work that they're doing is all primarily heating, ventilation, air conditioning, lighting. Some cases it's renewable energy. Some cases it's electrification of systems like boiler swap outs. But we can operate across the whole spectrum because that's how we actually reduce the 40% of emissions that's coming from the built environment is you need to be able to work across all of these nitty gritty systems throughout the building. And so our expertise is being able to work across that full breadth and identify and quantify and continuously deliver the value that comes from them. Great. And then the other the other thing I just wanted to understand is what's business been like in the environment, you know, that we're talking about today, which is, you know, we're seeing the climate change really accelerate right before our eyes. And we also are seeing a political environment, which is trying to be more active in creating, you know, incentives and penalties. We're seeing fortune, you know, big fortune 500, whatever. We're seeing financial services. We're seeing, you know, the entire world world is converging on climate change and trying to do something about it. Are you finding that that is resonating within your own company's growth? Yeah, very much so. And I'll give one example. There's um, a large private equity real estate firm that we work with primarily on office assets all across the country. And we've been talking to them for well over two years. And then by March of this year, all of these forces you alluded to, capital market pressure, political pressure, cause for them, for one of their managing directors reached out to us and said, we need a real plan for ESG to get us to net zero and we need to get there. And so let's start with six buildings, the Carbon Lighthouse, and let's get our feet wet and understand it. And then we can do the whole portfolio. And we, this private equity real estate firm, want to be the ESG leader and be able to demonstrate that. And so I think 
for them, working with us was naturally the result of they feel the pressure from the administration. They feel the pressure from attracting capital. They feel some of the pressure from local laws like we have in New York or D.C. Yeah. or elsewhere. Um, so all that has definitely been coming together and making people decide now is finally the time to take action and get their great return. So, you know, 100 million feet, as I've mentioned a couple of times, that's, that's an extraordinary portfolio. That's wonderful. That's great progress. But we've got so much more to go, right? I think, I think I saw on your website or some article that there's 5 million buildings in the U.S. alone that we have to decarbonize, right? And get to net zero. So how, aside from the great work that Carbon Lighthouse is doing, how are we going to attack this problem as an industry with a much, much, much greater sense of urgency than we've seen to date? What have you learned? that can, you know, sort of best practices or strategy that we can all sort of think about uh, somebody who's been in the in the trenches for a number of years now. What, where do yeah. we go from here to scale this? Yeah, great question. I think I've seen two things that seem to really drive action. The first is cash flows, specifically within the commercial real estate industry. As unsexy as cash flows are, they are really where I've seen people's minds get transformed. Um, and I'll give a recent example. There's a public REIT that we're working with that uh, we've done a few buildings with. We had shown them cash flows a few times where basically for them, because all their tenants are triple net, it's very hard for them to capture any upside of energy projects. They can get the cost covered and pass that through. But when there's large energy savings opportunities, they can't capture it. And so Carbon Lighthouse, we have a structure where we provide rental income to the building and are able to take some of the energy savings and effectively route it to the landlord as an incentive for them to take action. And all of this is complicated, but it's captured in cash flows where you can see what's happening to your NOI when you decarbonize, make, in their case, lighting retrofits, HVAC retrofits, all this work they want to do, but they haven't because they have no financial incentive to do so. And when you put the NOI in front of them and you put that year-by-year cash flow in front of them, our customer recently literally said, ah, the light bulb just went off. And for them, they finally understood, wow, decarbonizing isn't just something we have to do because there's pressure to do it. It's a huge economic opportunity. And so where I've seen those light bulbs go off, and I've seen them in previous companies that helped build a solar company here in New York and when people would see the cash flows, people being managing directors, senior VPs, folks at that level. Um, who think in terms of the financials, it's really powerful. And so for us, that's one of the things we emphasize when I talk to other entrepreneurs uh, within the commercial real estate world. I always talk about get cash flows in front of the right people because that is where people's minds get changed. I think the, the second big area where I've seen our customers really go through a big shift is when it's coming from their investors in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had a number of our customers, large public rates, some in the Odyssey Fund, like all of the Odyssey Index, really, really large firms. And they've always paid lip service to ESG, but it's never been the priority. And some of them, for the first time, starting about a year ago, were losing out on LPs that they had previously won easily because they didn't have a real ESG plan. And so I think the power of capital markets to dictate the terms um, of the capital that they're putting in to all the GPs out there is really, really effective. And so I think the more that can be done from the capital markets to keep the momentum that's happening naturally because ESG funds outperform non-ESG funds is really powerful as well as really digging into the weeds and showing people the cash flow so they can understand that this isn't just a nice to have. No, this isn't just something that makes you feel good. 
is something that can really drive the economic performance and make you stand out above the competition in your financial performance. Raphael, that's really uh, insightful and it's really helpful. It, I'm still nervous as hell because, you know, I'm reading every day, you know, just look at the UN report that was put out and the temperature. If, you know, if we've passed, you know, 1.5 and, you know, could we keep it under 2.5 and 2040 feels like it's 2030? Like, you know, I mean, I'm just stressed. I mean, I'm genuinely stressed for, I mean, I'm old. I'm old as hell. So like chances of me being around in 30 years, I got kids, you know, and I, I want to, you know, they look at me and they're like, daddy, what did you do? What did you do when you knew? Because I believe in science and it's all around us. So I struggle with what's going to create the sense of urgency because the truth is like without, it's horrible to say without COVID, I don't know if real estate tech would have adopted at the pace it did through 2020, 21. And now I'm looking at climate and going, this is not a situation where we just are hoping to tell a story about companies getting more efficient and using tech and blah, 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 and meeting their customers. This is like the livelihood of the planet is at stake. So when you talk about financial incentives and capital markets, I agree with you. I just wonder if it's enough and whether there's going to be real penalty for companies that don't adopt and, yeah. and uh, commit to net zero. I mean, what do you think about that? You think it's going to yeah, come down to the government? I'm right there with you. So I also, I have four little kids and part of why I do what I do is because this is a way to set the right example of stewarding the planet. I grew up in a family where I always took trips to Yosemite National Park. And when we were there, my parents would, we'd go in down in the valley there, there's this big nature center. And if you explore there and then you explore a bunch of trails, you can come across different places where John Muir set up camp, uh, who's one of the great conservationists. And the lesson that I took away at a young age that I've also similarly forcefully impressed upon my own children. <laughs> All of this is only here because other people have taken deliberate action to protect it. And that's the ethos which I approach the world. I do believe other people can take on that ethos, even if it's not in the core of their business. As long as it's economically responsible, they'll do that. And this is not just economically responsible, it's economically profitable to go solve these problems. So the hopeful part of me thinks that the answer is leaders within commercial real estate will take action of their own volition because that's the right thing to do and it's profitable anyway. It's good for their business. I think beyond that and beyond hoping for the better angels within us, I think the things that will drive change as a backstop to that are twofold. One, exactly as you said, I think their government pressure and policy, their local law 97 in New York has all of its many many supporters and many detractors and all the edge cases that I've heard from our customers that are difficult for them. But the underlying principle of that to me is spot on, which is here's how much carbon emissions we're going to be allowed associated with the built environment. Go figure out how to meet this target. And that kind of power and that kind of strong signal creates really good market incentives for people to take action. I think the other force, unfortunately, is the one that you've alluded to, which is at a certain point, there's so much worsening climate catastrophes from fires, smoke, flooding, hurricanes, etc. At a certain point, things become economically untenable. And it starts, I think, with the insurance companies start to put pressure and start to have returns on it. And so there is obviously the general challenge of all of the, you know, you can selfishly behave and and keep polluting and all of the tragedy is going to be socialized across the world. But ultimately, all of us only have this planet to live off of. And as those disasters get worse and worse and the economic toll of it 
hits the bottom line of all of these building owners, at a certain point, it does become yeah, clearly. Act. Yeah, I agree. I, agree. And I think the, the other thing that gives me hope, because as, as you said, you vacillate between hope and, and fear, which is healthy, because I think that's how we're going to just tackle this is with that sense of healthy skepticism and paranoia. At least that's how my brain works, but uh, is the role that technology plays, right? I mean, look what we just went through with COVID. I mean, we has there ever been a time in history where a vaccine was created using technology in such record pace, right? Like crazy, right? I mean, yeah. whether or not we could convince people to take to, to, to get vaccinated, that's another problem. That's a collective action problem. But technology solved that problem, right? So as a tech guy, quote unquote, because I know you're a leader, yeah. you're much more than, you don't want to be called a tech guy, but you're somebody that's immersed in technology. Does that also give you hope that a lot of these solutions to climate change will be born out of you know places like New York and Silicon Valley and et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, uh, it gives me a ton of hope. I'm glad you mentioned the innovation that's come about out of necessity for vaccines and pandemic. For us as a business, it was the pandemic actually forced a big shift where we literally jumped five years forward, not literally, but we did jump five years forward uh, on our, our roadmap where we had long been sending our own engineers to buildings to help oversee these changes to make buildings more efficient. Um, and what we were forced to figure out by the pandemic and the shelter in place orders was how can we empower facilities teams directly to do all the good work that we were doing ourselves of reprogramming control systems, adding in new unitary controllers, reprogramming and fixing dampers with all the nitty gritty things that make buildings consume less energy. We had to figure out how to do remotely. And when it became clear to us that we could use the data that we built across this hundred million square feet to need to get a lot less data and lower the bar enough that a non-highly trained energy engineer, namely someone in the building themselves, could now start to gather this data. And so the power of technology coming from that big data lake we built allowed us to change the business model. So instead of it just being some, you know, the knight in shining armor technology that came, it's actually the marriage of technology companies with all of the existing facilities, personnel, and people on the ground in buildings that allow for a huge change so that as we've shifted to this model where we're purely a technology platform, we've actually more than doubled our cumulative carbon impact in less than a year because we're able to work with partners. So there's there's many pieces to it. The technology piece, I think where it becomes so powerful is as the enabler of all that already exists, right? As being able to provide the data and insight for all the facilities personnel and all of the local control shops and all the local mechanical contractors who already are in place, if we can get all those pieces working together in harmony, which technology can be a key piece of by providing insight um, and tracking, then suddenly you're able to decarbonize the built environment way faster right, than right. you were before. And that gets me really excited. I think yeah. that's happening for Carbon Lighthouse, and I think these similar things in electric vehicles that are happening and autonomous driving, putting all that together, is really, really exciting. That's great. So final question for, for me, Raphael, is, um, you know, again, you're trying to, you know, this is a collective action problem. So we want to inspire other entrepreneurs in the climate tech fight. As somebody that's raised a ton of money, I think $60, $70 million, I think I saw something like that, that's got the product uh, being used by about 100 million feet of space. You're doing a lot right. I'm sure you don't feel like that most days as a, as a founder. I get it. What sort of you know lessons learned could you then share with other entrepreneurs who are maybe just joining this climate tech fight and focused on the built world? What lessons could you 
apart on other entrepreneurs? I guess uh, I'll, I'll share three. The first and foremost is never, ever, ever quit. I think that <laughs> can't be emphasized enough, even though it may just say sound like a bromide that people throw around. There's so much challenge and so much difficulty. And the problem of climate is that it cuts across so many different sectors of the economy, whether it's agriculture or buildings or transportation, it's everywhere. And that's not necessarily what markets are set up for. So you're going to have the epic challenge of needing to create a market or transform a market um, from its status quo, which it's probably pretty happy with, even though it's destroying our planet, which is leads to the second lesson, which is spend a lot, a lot of time with your customers. Yeah. Um, and I think understanding where their pain is. Um, and in particular, it's like one of the great product marketing maxims is understand what are the one or two most important priorities of your customers. And if you're not that, then ruthlessly focus on how to tie what you're selling to those one or two priorities. And that's why we focus so much on tying our value to the ability to attract capital, the ability to attract and retain building occupants, because that is what is top of mind for the market. Um, and then the third thing to your point, I think, is the importance of, of inspiration and getting people to, to follow you. And so I'm a physicist by training. Um, I was fortunate to take a class called Widely Applied Physics at Harvard when I was there. And one of the calculations we did, which I love to share, is if you calculate the volume of the lungs of an infant on their first breath, and you add up all the molecules of oxygen that they're breathing, and then you calculate the total atmosphere of the Earth, so the shared atmosphere that we have, you'll learn that by from dispersion effects, by the time everyone's age 10 and older, every single breath that you take contains one molecule of oxygen from every other person, or really every other living, breathing animal wow. on Earth. And so that interconnectedness of us is literally with us, literally in this case, with us every time we breathe, we're breathing in the air that we've shared with every other person on Earth at some point in their life. And that collectiveness that hopefully further inspires entrepreneurs and others that we got to get it done and we're in it together. And thankfully, we can get it done. The technology is here. We just got to focus and, and make it happen. Oh, man, I'm speechless. That was that was pretty good. I'm, I'm just going to shut up now and let it, let it end on that because that that's really powerful. And I think that's the message that I'm trying to send with the podcast, which is that this is not winner takes all. This is like we all win. Right. And we, and that's why I, I love what you're doing, Raphael. I'm, I'm a big fan. As I tell people, if somebody's on this podcast, I got, they got, there's no skin in the game here for me or, or Cretech or climate. It's just because I want to help really innovative, inspiring entrepreneurs and professionals and leaders just amplify their message. So just. Keep on keeping on, Raphael Rosen, CEO, Carbon Lighthouse. You're doing a great job. And I just, I hope when we reconnect again a year from now, that portfolio is five, 10 times the size it is now. So, but thanks again for taking the time and joining the podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for, for preaching the good word to everyone from your perch of credibility. It's really important to get the, the good news of climate feasibility out there. Thank you very much. Thank you. If you want to hear more about top industry trends, please hit subscribe and join us on this journey to reimagine real estate. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's episode, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. To stay up to date on leading climate tech trends and topics, join the Cretech Climate Community by clicking the link in our bio. 
Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you join us next week.